Hello and welcome to the Campaign Podcast. It's Omar Oaks, Campaign's Media and Technology Editor. We are back in 2021 with another season. You can call it a new season of the Campaign Podcast. And joining me for this first episode of the year is our Creativity and Culture Editor, Brittany Kiefer. Hi, Brittany. How are you? And did you have a good Christmas break? Hi, Omar. Yeah, I'm all right. Um, It was a pretty quiet break because I stayed in London this year, as I know many others did, but it was nice. It was nice to have a break from work. Yeah, how depressing that um, I imagine you would have been going over to the States to see your family over Christmas holiday, and obviously you can't do that. Did, did you manage to um, have um, have a turkey or have a ham? I don't know what you usually do over Christmas. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually had beef this year instead of turkey, but I don't usually eat turkey for Christmas. Um, that's the Thanksgiving bird. Uh, it's a, it's a um, British thing to have turkey at Christmas, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But um, it yeah, I I missed my family, but we did a Zoom quiz, which was a big hit, and I was the quiz master, so that was fun. Wow, that's a lot of responsibility. Uh, I maybe know. we should do a quiz on the podcast. If if we do, you are going to be our quiz master for it, certainly. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and and um. It's been an interesting time in the news. Lots of news happening already in 2021. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying this just because you are an American. And by the way, full disclosure, I'm actually half American myself. Oh, that's right. um, but hey, what what about all that fascism in America, eh? Yeah, uh, not sure. What's going on? Uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say about it, really. That hasn't already been said. Um, it's very disturbing. But luckily... Uh, None of my family members are fascist, so I don't have to have any uncomfortable conversations with them. Um, but yeah, it's very disappointing and um, disturbing to watch it unfolding from afar. Yeah, there was a quite disturbing poll that came out among Republican Party members after it happened. And the, the polling question was, did you agree with people storming the Capitol building or something to that effect and 45% of these people said yes it was the right thing to do versus 43% who said no and it's just unbelievable unbelievable and um it just shows how it it didn't start with trump and it's not going to end after trump is gone all these problems deeply divided politics and frankly a lot of ugliness has come out of the woodwork that i think we were all maybe hoping rather than concluding had gone away for good but um very depressing um and listeners do read campaigns question of the week that we've got on this um which went up on wednesday morning and we're asking do social media companies alone have the power to ban donald trump donald trump of course has been banned or rather suspended indefinitely from twitter and facebook uh, what's your hot take Brittany? do you think um do you think um you know these social media companies they're just private companies they should be able to ban whomever they want from their platforms what do you think in the case of elected politicians as odious and fascistic as they are in the case of Donald Trump that there should maybe be some sort of government or regulator oversight mm, yeah i agree that there should be some oversight uh i know that we debated the question for a long time um as a team but what do you mean by social media companies alone like are you implying that um, governments should have oversight over the platforms well yeah so twitter private company they could decide tomorrow if they, they just want to ban anyone with the name omar just because it's their platform they can have as 
as members who they want. Um, but you know, the Twitter in particular, they've held they've they've held this policy for a while now that even though Donald Trump has violated their terms and policies over hate speech um, for quite some time, he's an elected official, and they believe that he should be given more leeway um, as a as a as an elected politician to do that. So the implication of that is these social media companies are some sort of public square right they're not just private entities and therefore do we need to have some sort of democratic i guess accountability um for you know giving these people the power over who's silenced and who isn't what do you think i i guess i view it as a public square that needs to have some regulation but what do you think i think it's a very difficult one i think i think on the one hand just you know by the way there is still people like Ayatollah Khomeini on Twitter, right? And so it's so it's it's kind of like, well, what's going on there? Why are you banning Donald Trump and um the Ayatollah is still on there um spreading his own brand of hate? Um I think that's a little bit of a red herring because just because you don't ban all the fascists and dictators and um demagogues out there doesn't mean you should ban some of them. And when you've got one of them literally standing on the street in front of a microphone compelling people to you know tear down democracy which is what donald trump did last week then i think yeah you've got to get your ass in gear and do something about it and worry about the ayatollah tomorrow um so personally i think um it's been a long time coming um i think i I don't i mean i think there should be some form of interaction with government or at least an independent regulator if you know it can maybe be less formal than some board which has to sign it off or you know in the uk we have offcom licensing for example i don't i'm not sure we need to go that far um but there definitely needs to be some recognition as you say that it is a public square and it's not just a simple decision um because for better or worse these platforms are not just the only game in town for you know frankly if you're if you're a journalist you're on twitter for the most part right this is where um these discussions happen yeah and you know we did a feature on in the magazine at the end of last year about instagram and how so many bit small businesses in the uk they would not exist without instagram a facebook owned company and you can't you know this they, they become a public square if you know businesses are dependent on it for their livelihood um so it's not quite simple it's an interesting question um but not so simple yeah, and uh, I hadn't heard of that other platform. Was it, is it called Parlor that a lot of Parler, a yeah. lot of Trump supporters use? And wasn't it Google and someone else banned banned the platform or took it off the App Store? Yeah, so it's been around for a couple of years, but um, only recently that um, um, lots of the the Nazis and neo Nazis decided to use Parlor to organize and spread um, all kinds of filth. Um, Google. Um, and Apple have actually taken um, Parler off the App Store. So you can still use it on your phone if you downloaded it before last weekend, but you can no longer search for it in the App Store for those ones, which is good. Um, and um, it, it actually got taken down offline altogether because um, their servers were owned by Amazon, um, and Amazon said that you can't use our platform anymore um, to do oh, this. So it's good. I mean... If you want to be part of the mainstream, then you've got to, you know, not be racist and not allow fascism. So, sorry. I would agree with that. (laughs) Uh, Now, we're going to do something a little bit different for the podcast this year, 2021, new year, new resolutions and all that. 
Brittany, I'm bringing you on because guide us through the work. We have talked about work on the podcast, um, but we, we want to have it front and centre of our discussions going forward. And who knows, we, it might lead us down some interesting paths. Um, so we're going to ostensibly talk about some ad campaigns that have launched in, in the last week or so. Um, but, you know, you're our creative and culture guru, so feel free to say whatever you want there, madam. <laughs> so I'll, I'll throw some ads at you. We can talk about the craft, okay. the brand message. Uh, we can talk about anything interesting about how they've used media. Um, but let's go through them. Um, how does that sound? Sounds great. I hate being called a guru, but fair enough. <laughs> what, what would you prefer to be called? Just, just editor. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't mind if somebody wanted to call me media and tech guru. That'd be that'd be interesting. Okay, um, I'll start referring to you yeah. that way. Writes down for next appraisal meeting. Okay, enough of that. Um, let's do the first one. It's a fairly well-known Swedish home retailer furnisher called IKEA. Uh, this one. <laughs> Thank you for the correct pronunciation. Uh, I've been practicing. You could tell um, IKEA, not IKEA. Um, this ad <laughs> um, they launched just after New Year's called Fortune Favors the Frugal. It's a bit of an environmental one. Let's hear a quick clip. So that is, of course, by um, Ikea's longtime ad agency mother. I'll try to um, credit um, the creatives and um, the, the director as much as possible. Of course, mother never um, credits individual people, so I won't do that for them. Um, but no. this was... It's all mother. It's, it's all mother. It's part of the mothership. Um, this was directed by Tom Kuntz. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Through MJZ, the production company. And, of course, media by Visium. Um, so... Um, Brittany, is this the first time that IKEA, at least in the UK anyway, has done a you know environmentally conscious ad like this? I don't think it's the first time they've done an environmentally conscious campaign. There was um, they've promoted some sustainability messages through other work and activations over the past few years, um, such as do you remember that ship that was sent down? I think the Thames um, that had a message about. The uh, sustainability. I don't remember exactly what the idea was behind it, but they've done a few things like that. Like they also had some outdoor ads. I want to say maybe two years ago, pointing people to their stores, but they were encouraging people to get there on foot or um, cycling. So they are. They've been slowly moving in that direction, but this is probably the first big film campaign where they went out with that message that I can remember. Yeah, um, and um, we'll have links to um, the ads on our website in the show notes, of course. Um, this ad soundtrack by Make It Better by the Barons, and if you watch it, you'll see um, it's a it's a giant big ball of rubbish that's hurtling towards the earth, and this family is, um, you know, it's um, despite this happening, they're kind of recycling and doing very nice things. Um, Brittany, um, looking across the the piece of different ads do you see more environmentally conscious um, advertising marketing has this become more part of the zeitgeist among brands definitely especially over the past year i would say it's become very top of mind um you know there are the global climate strikes before you know 2019 before the pandemic started and at that time it was very much uh a trending topic and of course it should be more than a trend but as you often see with advertisers they'll just 
pick up on something in culture that's happening and they're probably starting to see real expectations from their customers as well that they be more sustainable and environmentally friendly. So I would say that um, it's interesting to see a, a mainstream brand like Ikea so bluntly saying be frugal <laughs> and trying to make that fashionable. So are they saying that you should buy less furniture in order to save some material, raw materials being used? What are they, what are they saying? Well, yeah, it's interesting, right? So we also saw IKEA recently announce its buyback scheme, which John Lewis is also oh, doing, yeah. where they're, they're asking customers to, um, they'll basically offer customers a voucher to return their second, their used furniture. And IKEA will either recycle it or resell it. And so they're trying to, you know, promote this more sustainable shopping habit, right? But for a retailer, it's interesting because especially Ikea, like I kind of think of them as part of this sort of like fast consumption, yeah. which isn't environmentally friendly. Like you move flats, you're renting, you just need some cheap furniture quick. That's how I would view yeah. them traditionally. And I think a lot of people would as well. And for them to make this shift, I'm not saying it's not genuine, but it's kind of a tricky line to tread. And you saw people like um, Purpose Disruptors, which is an ad industry group that is pushing for the ad industry to take more of an environmentally friendly role and change how they do business in many ways. And one of the founders of that group was tweeting and he kept mentioning me. So I saw it um, basically calling out Ikea for being hypocritical because the ad kind of suggests one way you could interpret it, that a solution to this environmental problem is to buy more Ikea products. So, uh, you know, it's tricky. Like you could read it both ways. You could look at it cynically and say why like Ikea doesn't have a leg to stand on. But at the same time, you want them to change how they do business like any other brand is trying to do, hopefully. And I think that things like their buyback scheme are really important. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a really tough one, isn't it? Because the, the more I read and think about climate change, you just, it's it, the analogy that I quite like is, you know, with politics, you know, you're everything that happens you kind of feel like you're arguing about what color the walls are in your living room when there's literally a fire in the kitchen you know california is literally on fire every year in a horrendous way same with australia um bangladesh you know the the flooding has become almost untenable i think jakarta um many parts are underwater like florida where you're from as well like there are places where they're they're, they're going to mm -hmm. be completely underwater it's projected in a few years like this it's such an emergency and you just wonder whether we're at such a point now whether <laughs> it's a problem not just for a brand like ikea but all of capitalism really all of the economic system in which how can we keep consuming as we are um and expect the earth to be habitable as we know it it's 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 an incredibly <laughs> it's an incredibly huge and complex problem and nobody has any answers i don't think for how we're actually as a as a global society going to do something about it yeah and for advertisers it's a real ethical dilemma kind of like an existential crisis i would say um because you could argue that advertising's fueled this unhealthy mode of consumption that has contributed to climate change. And in many ways it has. Um, 
but a lot of people who are activists and campaigners in this area say that we could be entering the second phase of conscious consumption. So um, I wonder if IKEA is an example of a brand moving in that direction. I think it might be. That's really interesting. I want to I want to hear more about that, but um, uh, we, we I didn't intend on doing the whole podcast about this, but we could, but we won't. Um, let's let's move on to some other ads. Maybe we uh, will. <laughs> I suspect we will. It's really interesting. Um, next ad I want to talk about is Macmillan, uh, Macmillan Cancer Support. Uh, this is whatever it takes, and it's by their ad agency Abbott Mead Vickers BBDO. Creatives that worked on that AMV were Andy Clough and Rich McGran, uh, directed by Jonathan Ulrich through Iconoclast and the media agencies Zenith. Uh, so what's going on there? You've got um, um, it's got this lovely Max Richter um soundtrack. I like I love Max Richter and um if yeah, you I love that yeah track yeah as yeah well. Spring One I think it's called and um if you've seen the HBO show um The Leftovers, which is a fantastic TV show, and it's got this Max Richter soundtrack running the whole way through it. Uh, 10 out of 10, highly recommend that. Anyway, uh, this ad features, um, it's got this music, and it features a scene, uh, a a series of scenes showing Macmillan's staff um, lending a hand during key moments of cancer patients' journeys. Um, New Year, New Year's resolutions, probably this is the time that um, charities um, want to raise awareness of what they're doing. Um, What did you think of this, Brittany? Well, it's very emotional. It actually made me tear up. Yeah. Um, but there's a very sad statistic behind it, which is that cancer screenings are falling behind, of course, because of disruption from COVID. And the charity's funding has been really severely hit. And they estimate that as many as 50,000 people in the UK are missing a cancer diagnosis. Um, so this is a really important moment for them. But this is also the first work for the charity by AMV, which won the account, I want to say, in late 2019. And they actually conducted some research, which isn't that surprising, but um, showing that people are more likely to support charities that are seen as dynamic and effective. So the way they um, chose to approach this was they, they know that a lot of people see Macmillan staff as compassionate, right? Like you'd kind of assume if you work for Macmillan, Um, that you have that side to you, but they wanted to show off the staff's um, tough and grittier side. So kind of show them as these uh, really resilient, tough people who are there for you at these really key moments of the cancer journey. So the, um, they call it tough yet tender, I think is the name of the film. And they're calling their staff compassionate warriors. So you see that in the scenes that they show, there's moments of real tenderness um, and humor, but then also just really, you know, true strength and resilience. Um, so it's a very emotional ad. I think it's well done. Yeah. 
Um, I just realised actually um, gave the name check it over to the wrong people. It was actually created by Benjamin Polkinghorn and Scott Kelly. I think I actually name checked your bosses, your creative directors before. Sorry about that, uh, but well done, <laughs> Benjamin and Scott. We like that. Well done, Macmillan. Um, and just a reminder, the director is also interesting as well. Um, he is part of a duo called The Blaze. They're French and oh. they're a music duo. But they're also known for creating their own music videos that are really distinctive. Oh, yeah. And one of them um, actually won some awards at Cannes a year or two ago. Um, I guess it would have been two years ago because there wasn't a physical Cannes last year. But, yeah, so he's quite interesting, kind of an interesting choice for this ad. And um, they're, they're called The Blaze, even though the French so is The Blaze. Yes, <laughs> correct. Interesting, interesting. Uh, do, you, do, do you find that... Um, you obviously speak to a lot of the directors at the production companies that do a lot of these ads. Is it kind of mostly still the same old crowds of uh, kind of the big name directors? Or do you find that you're having a lot new, a lot of new entrants like uh, the blaze? Actually, you still see the usual suspects, but uh, lately I've noticed, especially like with the crop of Christmas ads, some brands kind of taking a risk on these younger, like more up and coming directors who are really talented and deserve that chance. But you might've seen, in the past people kind of going with the big names because they know they'll do a good job. But for example, Dougal Wilson is um, known for directing most of the John Lewis Christmas ads. And the last one was directed by Oscar Hudson, who a lot of people may not know. Um, but he did a, an Apple ad two years ago called bounce, which was really good. Um, so yeah. So you're seeing more names like that or rain Allen Millard from some such directed Tesco's Christmas ad um she's you know a few years ago like barely anyone knew who she was she was just starting out so i think you're seeing more um up-and-coming names get a chance at ads like this yeah um it's quite interesting because um advertising doing tv ads is the way a lot of these directors actually went on to do feature films famously of course ridley scott was one of those um and i wonder if um, i'm gonna do for the next magazine a, a feature on the future of television uh because it's massively important and interesting lots of things are happening um but um, maybe it's something you could look at, Brittany, in terms of um, is is kind of um, the, the 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 directorial paths are changing. Mm, that's a great idea. Yeah. Uh, well, you could give me you could give me a also contributed by credit at the end of the article. <laughs> I will. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's. I think we've got time for one more. Should we do one more? Let's talk about. Oh, let's talk about the army. Uh, this is um. We can't call them a brand. They're um. They're, they defend us in war <laughs> <laughs> they're, um, they're, they're an advertiser um they um they use this time of year to do recruitment advertising their new one is called fail learn win by Kamarama. let's have a quick listen what's the first step towards victory failure You fail. Come on, keep going. You learn. So you can win when it really matters. And this ad by Karma Rama, directed by Frederick Planchon. Again, hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, through Academy. And it was created at Karma Rama by James Rook, Megan Brown, and Tobias Owen. Um so the army's done some interesting marketing and um 
shall I say stunt? I say stunts over over the last yeah. couple of years. Um, where do, where does this rank among um, recent efforts by um, Her Majesty's Armed Forces? <laughs> uh, well, this builds on. Do you remember the campaign last year where they were kind of taking these tropes about Gen Z or millennials and and saying actually these are good qualities that we could use in the army so yeah the we want was, snowflakes we want we yeah. want namby pambies come on board exactly they they used the term snowflakes or they showed i think in the film there was someone who was like seemingly obsessed with their phone but somehow that was a quality that the army needed i'm not sure but this kind of builds on that message and it's embracing this theme of what could be seen as weakness as a strength and this one's all about failure i think that's kind of um a a cultural theme actually to be to embrace failure like i i feel like i see more prominent figures or celebrities kind of talking about these weaknesses or vulnerabilities and i I feel like that's very on trend right now to talk about your failures and how they make you stronger so i think that um if they had come out with your kind of traditional message about like being really tough and um i don't know your kind of cliche army ad like who would that resonate with at a moment of such great vulnerability across the world and also that can kind of reinforce some stereotypes about who would join the army and who the army is for so i think the messaging is probably you know a good idea but i'm not so sure about the execution how many people will uh really be engaged by it um it i always um, I, I know it's not the pl- army it's the police but i'm always reminded of them in the early 90s where this police recruit metropolitan police i think it was recruitment ad and you had people like lennox lewis um kind of giving a monologue that you know the boxer lennox lewis giving a you know talking to the camera saying you know i've i've won world heavyweight championships and i've done this and i've done that but you know to tell he says something like to tell a family that um, their their son has been shot or something like that. I can't remember. You know, I couldn't do that. And it was based on this research where it was um, they the I think the ad agency was Saatchi and Saatchi, and they it, it, they had a recruitment problem. Not enough people were going into the police, and they found that the more the more that they had the messaging that it's actually really tough to be a police person they got more recruits off the back of it because it was seen as like a prestigious thing. Interesting. And I wouldn't say that this yeah. army campaign is the opposite of that, but it's it's kind of, um, it's trying to do something quite sophisticated, isn't it? Where you almost, as, as you say, it's rebelling or is a counterpoint against this kind of like, be the best, be tough and everything. Whilst actually we're, we actually understand you and your qualities as a human being could actually be quite mm. useful. And, um, it's it it's it's interesting. It's not something I would have anticipated that they do, but I'm I'm really keen to see on um what the effectiveness kind of study is is afterwards and how it how it how it performs. Yeah, me too. I actually don't know if um they've said how effective their last recruitment campaign was. So I wonder, you know, perhaps something in it did work if they're sticking with the theme. Yeah, it's certainly caught, um, uh, I suppose the phrase is it, it had a lot of free media. Um, it <laughs> got a lot of PR and news buzz and newspaper coverage but i wonder if in in the long run that sort of thing is counterproductive because um yeah okay it creates a lot of awareness but is it for the right reason i don't think for something like this any publicity is necessarily good publicity um so yeah you're right that's um definitely one to follow um 
And, do you know what's interesting, Brittany, before we wrap up? We haven't talked about any travel ads. Yeah. Where are the travel where are the holiday retailers is it because like you um no one can travel anywhere because of covid and it's all really depressing <laughs> yes i think so uh, it makes sense that you haven't seen any but there is one exception to that which is on the beach they released an ad at the end of last year created again by uncommon and voiced again by iggy pop the legendary rock star um and he is talking all about the strange and, you know, unprecedented moments of 2020. That was some year. Oh boy. The sun came out and we were stuck inside. Lockdown loco. Working from home became sleeping at the office. And shaking hands became, well, and the the trials that people went through and it's just a long shot of a bunch of people running towards the beach and the message at the end is we will get back to the beach again and it's kind Mm -hmm. of a a hopeful don't worry one day we will have holidays once again so yeah that's the only exception otherwise i haven't seen any travel ads no um it's yeah it's it's kind of um that time of year where you start imagining being on a sunny beach instead of this horrible wintry weather but oh, there's, no, there's no trouble i mean i'm sure there are i've i've um I, I need to do more research before i say that but definitely less than there were um for obvious reasons i feel like iggy pop by the way is one of these people like snoop dogg who are just always doing ads all the time am i, am I wrong about that i can well he's it? been in the last on the beach ad but that's the only one i can think of have you seen him in any others no i'm probably i'm probably doing the great man a disservice but hopefully he will be like snoop dogg and become as ubiquitous in advertising that would be nice to see yeah he he is just something else i've lost track <laughs> of how many it's at least 10 it's at least 10 different brands play a game at home listeners so you can guess all the different brands that um snoop dogg has done ads for in the last 10 years uh, um maybe let's get that in the show notes as well um I, because it's loads <laughs> um and of course, Iggy Pop. Um, you know, uh, I can't help mentioning um, Niels Leonard, and he was it twenty seventeen when they both took their shirts off in the on the on the main stage at Cannes Lions. Yes, who could? How could we forget? Yes, uh, Niels, who uh, you and you, he and Katie McKay Sinclair from Mother did a wonderful uh, Chris uh, roundup of twenty twenty um, podcast for us recently. Check that out, to you listener. Okay, Brittany, I'm going to let you go, and we're going to move on to our interview with Simon Davis, uh, the chief executive and founder of Walking Media, uh, to talk about the prospect of creative and media possibly coming together. Um, thanks, Brittany, and catch you next time. Thanks, Omar. See you soon. And I'm joined here today with Simon Davis, who is Chief Executive of Walk In Media. Simon, hello. Where does lockdown find you? It finds me in my cupboard, where it's, where it's found me for the last year. Uh, it's a nice cupboard. It looks a bit like a squash court, I'm told, from Zoom. But uh, yeah, here I am. <laughs> uh, are you literally in a cupboard or does cupboard mean something else for... Um... I know, it's, I'm literally... Yeah, it's not a euphemism. I'm literally in the cupboard. Oh, well, uh, <laughs> uh, good for recording podcasts anyway. You've got your own little studio there. <laughs> um, S- Simon, of course, uh, you you used to uh, run uh, Blue 449, a uh, publisher's group in the UK, and uh, you are now at Walk In Media.
Media as chief executive, part of MSQ Partners. Ex explain what is Walking Media. So uh, I launched Walking Media in October uh, of 2019. Um, the original idea, which still holds good, I originally wanted to open a shop, which is how the, the name how the name came. Um, I wanted to open a shop in Old Street um, and a few other tech centres, which opened up um, media agency services to scaling up businesses, um, obviously particularly D2C businesses and fast growth uh, businesses. And the business model that I originally had in mind was that you could come in and I'd give you two hours of, uh, of, uh, of um, decent advice uh, and then the, the meter would start. Um, well, you know, things move on, um, but the, the kind of thought around walking the media being able to deliver services to those kind of clients and mid-sized clients um, remains. I always wanted to launch um, in partnership with a with a group that had really really strong data and digital capabilities in place because businesses um, that I'm working with need that, um, but generally don't get it from from the big networks who who save all their all their good stuff for massive global clients, which is where their business models are now um, tiered. So I've partnered with MSQ. Um, and whatever we are now, 15 months on, things are pretty good. We've got 55 people um, and 30 odd clients um, and 25 million odd of, of billings. Um, we merged with Agenda 21 a few months ago, um, which kind of obviously boosted our in-house digital capabilities um, further and so far so good. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about this merger of Agenda 21. Um, I, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to our, our review of media in 2020 podcast that we did uh, just before the Christmas break. Um, but we, we got into this idea about um, creative and media finally coming together. It's something that's been talked about in the industry for years now, but um, hasn't really happened on mass. Um, but it looks like you are potentially doing it. So you've merged Agenda 21 with walk-in media mm -hmm. uh, to create what you've called a modern full service media agency that is exclusively focused on delivering data-driven outcomes for brands so you know that thing about data-driven outcomes for brands a lot of agencies are saying that yeah. um so how are you going to be different how is this merger going to do things which others aren't well i mean i'm, I'm a passionate believer in in the in the better outcomes that come out of um, integrated business in actual fact i mean the, the real point of inflection of integration um in my agency sits with um the creative agency within the group which is the gate um, which we work with very closely on a, on a number of, of clients like Buzzbingo for for integrated services, but but you know integration between creative and media, um, you know the, the easiest way to, to generate it obviously is through shared ownership, but not necessarily. Um, you know I think if you have a media agency and people who are trained to understand how advertising works, respect the power of advertising, and have relationships in place. You know, it's relatively straightforward for, for media agencies to work very, very closely and offer proper integrated services with a range of ad agencies. So aside from family in, in the gate, you know, I'm still doing lots of work with former family with MNC Saatchi, who I um, respect very highly in terms of their capabilities and, and like in terms of people. And we've started working with Wax On and Uncommon and even other you know, media agency groups like the lovely ladies at Craft Media. Um, so, uh, you know, I, the best outcomes are always generated when media and creative works best together. I think that's even more the case in a world now of, you know, multivariant testing and, um, you know, uh, personalization at scale. I, I, I'm not personally of the view that there's a sort of drive towards uh, more of it than there has been. You know, it's still the case 
I think that integrated services are demanded by really big clients who can who have the the scale to batter holding companies into place to make sure that they get full horizontal services across capabilities and also really fast growing D2C clients. So I guess that's where the expansion has occurred because there are so many fast growing clients now in that kind of long tail um, who, who just need everything now. So they need uh, media and creative working together now, but they also need really smart data and brilliant digital and, and also the fusing of performance and brand, which, which is a sort of artificial division that's come that's crept up in our industry but is of no interest if you're a d2c brand um so you know whether that's a the trend you you can you can argue it through but i but i think you know integration is something that's becoming increasingly hard to offer uh, because of the structure that agencies particularly the big agencies operate in where you know capability has become increasingly centralized um, and it's really only the massive clients that get all the good stuff in terms of data and performance media and and uh, and, uh, and other capabilities. Um, so, you know, our kind of sell and our, our mission is to make sure that all sizes of clients, small, mid-size, can get the best data and the best digital out there, which which uh, is not currently widely available. So, so are you are you implying? Are you saying that um, for the for the very big multinational clients that um, they're, they're still going to be the the big at the, at the behest of the big network company, the big network groups who are able to kind of leverage that that multinational capability, that range of big data. Um, where, whereas you will be going for more domestic, small to medium size, or kind of your 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 media budgets of between five and ten million, if I can put it that way. Yeah, probably up to up to up to twenty million. I mean, I, I think the the neglect of mid-sized clients by by um, by big holding companies is something that they are massively going to regret and also just standing on the sidelines of the explosion in in d2c um, advertisers you know it's very interesting watching you know the, the obviously online um, ITV upfronts a few months ago which is very very well done their, their emphasis is very clearly on talking to that directly to that long tail of um, of fast growth d2c advertisers and and you know that there's nothing in that in that big network model which which helps those kind of uh, those kind of advertisers so yes i mean that that's certainly the, our target it, it, you know it's not without its challenges you know what i've learned since launch is you know we're working in an industry which needs educating in in that process you know we still have a lot of intermediaries who will judge the the uh, the eligibility of agencies based on proportion of billings relative to to the size of the client you know, I've, I've learned very quickly that there are intermediaries who will look at your client base and say, well, you know, if this client will represent more than 40% of your of your overall billings, it's too big for you. And that, you know, that's never been the case. It's not it's not the way that ad agencies work. It's not it's not the way the likes of NCA pick up big bits of, of new business. So why are they saying that? It's just I think it's it's legacy and structural, you, you know, intermediaries have for a long time kind of worked on the basis that big clients go to go to big and mid-sized clients go to the big agencies and there's certain types of clients that should go to independent agencies and i you know i just don't it's not how it works in the states it's not how it works with big agencies like horizon media it's not how it how it should work here but i think that's a slow process of education i mean for, for me I, i'm always surprised by you know very successful big independent agencies like seven stars why they haven't got huge clients and you know i'm sure there's reasons for it which which are which are homespun i'm sure that there could well be capabilities which, which advertisers look at and say they can get more of at big agencies but i think it's also the fact is the deck is quite stacked against 
um, smaller agencies picking up big clients um, at the moment, and I, I would very much like to change that. Um, it's quite radical what you were saying because um, you, you would think that um, the, the big media buyers, you know, the Group M, Publishers Group, Omnicom, etc., that because they're because of their size and scale, aren't they able to offer the best trading deals for the bigger clients who are going to buy more TV? Well, I think I think that's all gone. I mean, you know, everything's it was going anyway pre-pandemic, um, but because of you know addressable media. And you know, data being the kind of key currency of, of success rather than rather than just price. So that was that was already happening. But I think you know, post pandemic, when you know retailers that did have twenty percent of their business got, coming through uh, through commerce, who now have sixty percent of their business coming through commerce, you know, it doesn't matter um, uh, um, that that they they're working with a big holding company that that can offer a big pot of money that they've generated through spending on VOD. You know what matters is really smart media placement, media delivery, and the data that that informs it. So I think scale as a differentiator, scale as a driver of business, um, from a kind of pricing perspective, has has just gone away. And the fact the fact is as well, I think, you know, I'm thinking predominantly here about the TV contractors. They've finally woken up to the fact that you know. <laughs> Uh, the the incremental money out there is is in the the fast growing D to C category um, and where all the action is you know they're they're not going to be getting more money year on year out of out of really out of the likes of P and G that's not <laughs> so I mean the media agencies the big networks can keep chasing it all they like but but it's not a business model for growth for for the for the you know big media contractors it's certainly not what's made Facebook and Google so dominant. Um, so that's not a scale story. That you can take that out of the equation now in terms in terms of what advertisers need. The real question is: Can we deliver the same level of of data capability, digital capability, integrated services um, as the networks? And you know, in my case, you know, the reason I part with MSQ is to make sure that I can say I can do that. And. and- uh, on the creative piece as well, um, we had um, Sue Frogley uh, on the previous podcast episode that we did, and um, I, you know, she suggested that a lot of clients just aren't really structured internally to handle maybe you know an, an integrated um, an integrated team in the way that maybe um, some would like. Um, that <laughs> when you are actually kind of um, you you've got this integrated shop now called Walk In Media. And by the way, I can't help seeing the similarity between the name Walk-In Media and Walker Media, which um, used to be Blue 449. People have uh, said that, yeah. Can we complete coincidence? Yeah. Well, just, yeah, I mean, uh, read of it as you will. <laughs> I'll, um, uh, listeners can interpret your <laughs> silence as they will. Um, but yeah, this, so, this, so this, this combined entity that you've got now, you've got about 65 people working across a full suite of capabilities, um, potentially creative and media. So, you know, to, to, to Sue's point, I guess, if I can interpret what she's saying uh, are you are you you talked about an education piece just now um is are you do you think that brands that marketing departments will need to actually structure themselves a bit differently to actually get the best of what a company like yours is trying to offer i mean not not between creative and media i mean i, I heard that podcast and i i thought the the assertion that a, that clients aren't structured to manage creative and media in the same place was was quite strange and probably probably reflected more internal politics and territories than, than actual client requirement. I think that the schism, if there's any at clients that needs repairing, is is the tendency for clients to have, you know, separate teams managing digital and in particular performance channels on digital, uh, which has happened because it's it's such a, you know, it's such a specialism 
Um, and I think you know, and agencies have been happy to allow it to happen because because they've been consolidating their cost base by by having their performance media team sit in the centre and and then and then operate on a sort of aggregated basis for for all agency brands. That needs to change. I mean, that you you can't have a situation where you you have two speeds of advertising running. You know, long term. Um, um, commercial levers communicating through brand messages and, and short-term action through performance and not have them melded together all in all in one place. Um, and, you know, the reason I always wanted to have very strong digital capabilities from the start um, is to be able to, from the start, be able to, to ground up, operate right across the funnel and right across all the channels that are uh, offered in the, um, in the funnel to, to, to pull those two together. So on a practical basis, paint us a picture. What would actually change for you know some of the some of the clients you've got are Emirates, Vodafone, Buzz Bingo. You mentioned already Equifax. You know, for for these clients, what are they getting that others aren't from this integrated offer? I mean, I mean I'd, I'd, if I talk about one, for example, which is which is G Network, who are a full fibre broadband provider, a challenger brand in London, um, offering uh, a gig for twenty two quid. It's very good value. Um, uh, what we do with them is really smart data um, interrogation of their Salesforce platform. Um, use that first-party data to only deliver on the, on with the insight that there's only any point in advertising a broadband service if you can physically receive it now or very or very soon. Um, only those specific households that that are get that can receive the service or whose roads are being dug up and are about to receive the service will get messaging from us. That's a really seems like a really you know uh, um, um, obvious strategy to take, but the you know the the plumbing behind it of um, having a system in place that interrogates Salesforce and automatically uploads all the all the um, new households as they as they come on stream. Um, is something that you know it would be science fiction in a in a media agency unless you were spending a hundred million quid. So you know, offering that kind of service to to what is a fast growth client with, with a with a smaller budget than that um, is is the point of difference, I'd say. So, what's um your prediction going forward for this year and beyond? Do you think um we're we're going to see more campaigns from big brands where you can actually see more? a better blend of brands and performance I'm, I'm thinking to you know at the end of last year both ITV and Channel 4 for example they both made a big song and dance about how streaming video on demand was going to become a bigger part of their businesses um, given that you can you know you can do things on video on demand that you can't do on linear television TV advertising for example do you see that the the technology the the opportunities are there and we're going to have more of this this year and beyond yes i mean i i think that the thing that's changed which is really really exciting is is um, personalization at scale is real now and so you know that kind of debate of should we be developing really pointy um content that that is just specific to for an individual relative to big brand campaigns is being superseded by by the technology where an advertiser can talk from the same voice but you know tweak the copy in in some way to 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 make it more relevant to the to the individual and I, so i i think that's the that's the major direction the major change that that's that's happening that it's not easy i mean you know and again to bang that drum again you know the the big agencies are only focusing their their tech and their efforts in delivering those kind of services for for big clients and really you know, it's the D to C clients that that have built their businesses on performance channels and are used to that method um, through their Facebook business manager, um, who who need to be helped in the kind of expansion of of that service into 
what would previously considered to be just be broadcast above the line channels, but but can now be treated um, as performance channels, both in terms of short-term performance and long-term performance, because they're addressable. That's all very new and exciting. Um, requires a very different service to to the one that media agencies have been giving. You mentioned Facebook just now. I mean, in the last ten years, Facebook and Google have gobbled up so much of the digital ad market just because of um, the scale that their platforms have achieved in a short space of time and just the sophistication of the targeting that you can get on those platforms you know it's it's the only game in town for a lot of the smaller advertisers um, that you mentioned that the long tail as you put it um, can you see for, for the next 10 years the 2020s can you see a world in which um, maybe more traditional um, media through technology. I'm not just thinking about TV. I'm also thinking about outdoor and radio increasingly as well, digital radio, where the technology is actually catching up, if you like, um, to a place where those sorts of advertisers can... Get, it won't be just all about Facebook and Google any longer. Yes, I mean, I, I, I think I think we're, we're now understanding much better what what the what the interaction between the pointier channels and the sort of service that, that Facebook can deliver relative to to the the more broadcast channels should be um, what what the interrelation of them of them is you know and and I think that you know the pre Christmas um, discussion that, that that kind of um, kicks off about um, attention so the the attention that's paid to advertising and we need to still that down to understanding that that means you know you can kind of break TV down to six pound on a cost per thousand taking that attention element into into play which is not dissimilar to, to Facebook I think the, the 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 more traditional media channels are, are definitely now getting into a space um, that, that has historically just been the stronghold of Facebook but then add into that you know the the drive you know as I mentioned before with the likes of ITV and other channels to understand that, that there's a demand there for self-serve um, which is, of course, a, a threat to, to media agencies, but it, but it just puts us in a more consultative role. I think as they develop those kind of services, and, and you can, you know, advertisers can start building their own advertising and and delivering it through those broadcast channels in the same way that they're used to doing it through FBM. You know, you've got a you've got a real seismic shift there. Um, but you know, there's no, it's not a, it's not an either or. It's it's always an and. You know, <laughs> Facebook advertising works better when there's um, the covering air fire of um, brand advertising or, and just television advertising in place. And I, I think understanding that correlation is the key bit. Yeah, the the, the halo effect, if you like, of um, the big brand message in which you kind of um, you, you your performance marketing kind of latches onto. Yes. And, I, and I've, you know, I've, I've talked too much about about TV. I mean, your point about digital radio is also very good. One. You, you know, the, the advances in the targeting you can deliver through digital radio now and the level of copy personalization that you can you can um, uh, uh, deliver likewise very much in the kind of same territory that's been historically just the stronghold of, of um, Facebook so you know that's all exciting. So let's finish with some predictions would it what do you think is going to happen uh, in the industry this year 2021 we've, we've already had um, you know uh, Donald Trump the prospect of him being impeached again we've had um, social media companies actually <laughs> take him down which um, which was unthinkable last year it seemed um, with Brexit the deal has finally happened um, so much has changed um, so let's hold ourselves as hostage to fortune what do you think is going to happen this year in the industry uh, uh, yeah I'm, I'm struggling to, to see what's going to happen before lunchtime currently but but I, I mean one thing that's certainly clear is is you know there is some kind of lockdown dividend amongst consumers you know and, and um, 
money was not that all the data suggests that there there is savings there are savings that have been accumulated by of course it's been extremely hard for for some people who've lost their lost their jobs but there's also been money accumulated in terms of savings that's gone up um so i think you know when we're all in a position to be able to spend um we'll be able to to spend more and that's a that's a huge opportunity and as as it happens on partnering with london advertising who who are who are doing their um, kind of sale January sale advertising that they uh, not dissimilar to what they did in last lockdown which is just recognizing the fact that at some point pretty soon we will be released and there is money to spend so I, so you know I can see a pretty sharp return in terms of spend when that happens albeit you know we have to recognize that everyone's behaviors have changed and they probably changed forever you know things of structural things have have changed like the the reintroduction of the big weekly shop until recently and you know the proportion of um categories and volumes that are being bought online relative to to um in store has changed forever i think um you know media owners have had to change to respond to all of that the the you know the um the death of ab deadlines for for television for example to allow greater levels of flexibility i don't think is going to come is is great and is not going to come back again um, so, you know, it's a year for agility, really. It's a year to understand that, you know, the businesses that are going to win are the ones who can react very quickly when the circumstances change. And, I, you know, we, we had that kind of, you know, depressing period last year where everyone's adverts had that had tinkly piano music in it and was shot on shot on Zoom. And, you know, we all understand how hard it is and all that stuff. You know, I worked through that. You know, I think now everyone now is waiting for the moment when they can they can um, uh, come back out and benefit from the from the withheld spend that's out there. Um, you, you talk about a bright future, which I can't wait to see coming around the corner as soon as possible. Uh, thank you so much. Simon Davis is chief executive and founder of Walk In Media, part of MSQ. Uh, thanks for coming on the campaign podcast. Good sort of you. Thanks, Alan. And that's all for this episode. Thanks so much for listening, wherever you are, listener. And thanks again to Simon Davis, the founder of Walking Media, and my colleague Brittany Kiefer for coming on this week's show, which was edited by Lindsay Riley. If you like what you hear, please do subscribe on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss future episodes. And of course, remember, you can get all the latest industry stories on campaignlive.co.uk and where you can see the UK's latest major ad campaigns. Stay safe and bye-bye.